Hello, I'm Lauren McCall, founder of the Animal Communication Academy and an international author and teacher. And I'm Bertha Eddington, a marketing professional who loves helping get people's messages out, particularly when I think they're as important and as fresh as Lauren's message. And that's why we've teamed up to bring you Animal Wise, the podcast, where from playful to profound, it's animal wisdom for your world. So Lauren, today we're going to talk about animals who are individuals. And I think it's safe to say that anyone who has ever encountered an animal knows that they can be everything from tricksters to fierce to just downright stubborn. So the question for me is, is that their innate nature or is there something else going on? What what does your experience tell us, Lauren? Well, you know, after 20 years or so of communicating with animals, uh, I can tell you that animals are absolutely individuals. They have likes and dislikes just as we do. So, you know, not all dogs love to go for walks or obsess about food, or like to wear clothes. (laughs) I think we've all learned that, especially when we've tried to dress them up for Halloween. Oh, very true, very true. And by the same token, not all cats are aloof, and not all rabbits are quiet and boring. You know, it really does depend on the individual animal, and I think that's even much more so than the species or breed. I mean, yeah, certain breeds, um, certain dog breeds have characteristics like um, golden retrievers wanting to please people, or the fact that huskies tend to be more independent. So that that really puts me in mind of, of human cultures. Um, For example, some cultures are more outgoing, like Americans, while the British are famous for the stiff upper lip and reserve. And yet, even within those cultures, individuals can be either more shy or outgoing, depending on their personal lives uh, and how they were brought up. Are you saying that's what it's like with animals as well? Yeah, it really is. And so, you know... um Animals, as, as everyone who lives with animals knows, you know, animals have different personalities and you can get into the nature versus nurture discussion with animals as much as you do um, with people. But, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it's fair and, and absolutely true to say that um, animals, for example, do behaviors for a reason even if it's just because they want to do it. And, you know, sometimes their behaviors may not make sense to us, but it does make sense to them, or they wouldn't do whatever it is. So actually, to illustrate that, um, I have what I think is kind of an amusing example that I'd like to share with everybody. Um, This is part of a telepathic conversation I had with a cat named Spalding, who like to move his water dish around. And his person uh, wanted to know why he did that, because it seemed like such an odd behavior. 
Now, I want you all to know that in this conversation, um, I am speaking for or or representing my client, um, Spalding's person. So it's not a personal conversation. I'm representing a client as if I was talking to an animal for anyone who's uh, listening with us today. And by the way, it's kind of useful for everyone to know that there are other cats in this household as well, not just Spalding. So um, I, I, uh, I started the conversation after I introduced myself by asking Spalding, so why, why do you have to move the water dish in the bedroom when you're about to drink from it? Are you just being silly? Spalding replied, well, it's, it's a funny thing to do. It amuses me, and it makes the other cats laugh, too. <laughs> I replied, well, it's not a serious problem, but you do tend to leave the dish in the pathway where I sometimes trip over it and spill the water. <laughs> Spalding said, yes, we cats are wondering when you're just going to learn to step over it. <laughs> I said, oh, so my involvement is part of what amuses you? Spalding replied, why, yes. I said, I see. Well, you could stop doing it. Spalding said, I could, but I don't want to. I said, well... <laughs> Or perhaps if I don't spill any of the water, maybe you'd leave the dish alone. Spalding replied, who knows? <laughs> so you see, animals do have a sense of humor. <laughs> I love this story, and I love that animals can be goofy. I, I wonder if it's our goofy side, partially, and their goofy side that helps bring us together. Um, as, as a unit. And I wish we could be all more goofy a little bit, personally speaking, all of the time. But, you know, I'm thinking not all animals are just goofy. Some, um, people have difficulty dealing with their companions as what they perceive as stubborn. Um, can you, is there a reason for that? Can you give us some insight into that? Um, yeah, I'll give you a, um, an example of a, a conversation here in a minute. But, you know, I think stubborn is one of those labels that we put on animals um, when we don't know why they're doing something. In other words, if they have a reason for doing something, but we don't necessarily know what it is or don't understand it, then we just say, oh, well, he's stubborn or she's stubborn. He, he knows what I really want. Right. Well, right. maybe, maybe not. I mean, if you think about how difficult communication is between people, um, making assumptions that animals um, always understand what we want from them, I mean, that's, that's quite a leap. So it may be that they want to do something else and have a reason for it. It isn't necessarily that they're lying around trying to figure out how to irritate you. It may just be that's not what they want to do, or they may not feel it's the best choice for them. 
It, it kind of reminds me of the conversation that we have sometimes with uh, our significant others or pe- important people in our lives who are we're <laughs> upset at them, and they, and they ask us, "Well, what's wrong?" And we say, "Well, if you don't know, I'm not telling you." <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of like exactly a right. okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. I yes, so. I can resonate with that absolutely. Yeah, it's it's very it's it's often like that. I I think that's true. So, so. look. Uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So there's a um, there's a conversation I thought I'd share with everybody um, that that they might find interesting or illuminating. Um, this is a conversation with a dog named Sniff, and again, I'm I'm speaking um, representing my client. Now, Sniff is a dog who did competitive agility with his person, my client. And um, she, she would get irritated when Sniff didn't seem to be able to focus or want to focus during competitions. In other words, Sniff was really focused and spot on when they would do practice together, but during competitions, everything seemed to fall apart. And she wanted to know why he did well in practice, but not so during competitions. So let me, let me read you some of this conversation. And, and even, you know, if, if, if people aren't necessarily interested in competition dog sports, I, I think it's all about, um, an insight behind the behavior here that's so interesting. So, um, I started out, again, representing my client, and I said, I understand, Sniff, that I get irritated during agility, and I feel bad about it. I feel this way because you don't run fast, and running fast is the most important part of agility. You have the ability to run fast, but why are you so slow when it comes to doing agility? Sniff replied, Well, why do you assume that I want to do agility seriously? It's okay for fun, but why must you be so serious about it? I replied, well, agility is competitive. It's about speed, time, and precision. Sniff replied, there are two issues here, I think. One is that I do not care so much about competition. I enjoy running around with you. That's fun. Feeling pressured to perform, doing something that is not so important to me, is not fun. So why do it if it isn't fun? I said, well, those are two quite different issues. Sniff said, yes, they are. I'm a bit like you with the irritated response. I mean, what I mean is that I can be stubborn with fixed ideas too. I just don't get irritated. I said, well, what can I do to solve this problem? My one wish for you is to always run your fastest during agility. What can I do to encourage you to run faster? Sniff replied, well... Maybe not be so intense. I said, well, can we try it? And then we can practice together and see if you feel more confident about the whole thing. Sniff replied, we can try. Yes, let's try a relaxed practice a few times. 
you set the pace and I'll try to do it. I said, well, you are young and healthy and I'd love to run with you. Sniff said, do you like all hobbies or activities? I said, what do you mean? Sniff replied, well, there are many types of things people do for fun. Many things can be done with dogs. Do you like all activities? No, I replied. Sniff said, then perhaps you will understand that I am not so interested in running fast. You are my best friend. I love you, and you're my mom. But I guess that we are all individuals, too. I said, yes, we are. But I love you, and I love to spend time with you. Please try to run a bit faster. And then we said goodbye. Yeah, that's a really interesting story. I, I guess it makes me a little bit sad in the sense that it seems to me that Sniff's mom doesn't seem to be hearing what he's really saying, which is he's just not that into her level of interest in something that she's into. And, you know, again, I, I can't help but draw a parallel for me with the lessons that we learn from other people um, or that learn about ourselves really in our lives that just because we want to do something and we're excited about it doesn't mean somebody else is. And it's, it's just so fascinating and wonderful to me that animals are the same way and opening our minds to understand that is going to help us be better people, not, not just better animal companions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I sure agree with you. And, um, you know, uh, when you said that, um, Sniff's mom wasn't really listening, you know, I, th I think about this sometimes because I, I think that um, listening isn't just the absence of talking. You know, when you, when you really hear someone, we, we have to place our attention there and, and really understand where they're coming from and, and what it is that they're trying to get across. And I completely agree with you, Bertha, because to me, there were times when I was working with this client that I felt that the dog and the client were on parallel tracks, but different tracks, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and broadening, again, broadening your mind. It's, you know, letting go of your own preconceived notions of what needs to be and allowing somebody, some other being's preconceived notions of what their life is like into your life is very challenging. And, and what a wonderful gift we have in animals that we have this opportunity to learn that with them as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to look at things from a really different perspective. I mean, you know, often we as humans try to figure out animal behavior, you know, we anthropomorphize, which I think is fine. You know, I think that anthropomorphism, which, which is the ascribing of human characteristics to non-human things or animals, I think anthropomorphism begins to build a bridge towards understanding. In other words, it's like saying, I'm, I'm not sure why you're doing that, so I'm going to try to figure this out from my perspective. 
But I, I think that, you know, as, um, as useful as that is, and of course, as human beings, I think we do a fairly good job of trying to figure out what our animals uh, need and want. Um, you know, a, a dog goes to the door and it doesn't take a rocket science or an animal communicator to tell you that the dog wants to go out for a pee or a walk or whatever it might be. You know, our animals have a way of letting us know what they want. But I think that at the same time, we need to be keenly aware that just using your human perspective to try and understand animal behavior has its limitations. And I, I hope the conversations with Spalding and Sniff would be examples of that. Yeah, I, I really think they are. And it, it just really makes me feel uh, recognized once again, as we're dealing with in our times right now, how many nuances there are and how many different levels to life there are, there is, and things are not just black and white. And what a wonderful lesson. You're right. Things are not black and white. And um, it's so often, I think, in our human world that we become really entrenched in a particular perspective. You know, it, it, and it, it's so easy. And, you know, we're, we're in such a polarized world right now, aren't we? There's very little gray. You know, you're either with me or against me, which is really unfortunate. And animals don't really take that perspective, which is sort of a nice change. Yes, yes. Very, very loving change to have in our lives, and, and what a gift. And again, an opportunity to learn another level of nuance, as you say, by putting ourselves in their perspective, shifting our perspective to them. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, and I think if, um, you know, if an animal is doing something that you don't understand, try to put yourself in their paws and look at it from their point of view. So ask yourself, why are they doing this? And uh, you might be surprised at how helpful and eye-opening that shift in perspective can be. Thank you so much, Lauren. I, I just love your work. I love your gift. I, I love your message to everyone. And I want to say to everybody who's listening, thank you so much for listening to Animal Wise. If you've enjoyed what you've heard and want to hear more, please like, subscribe, share, and tell all your friends, even strangers. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.